Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stokoviak. This is episode 144, and today we're talking to Ilya Grigoric. Ilya is a self-professed internet plumber, as you'll hear on this show today. He works at Google, and he basically makes the internet faster, and much more, of course, for those who are fans of Ilya's work. Ilya has a side project called GitHub Archive, which we took some interest in because we wanted to start shipping a daily email, nightly as a matter of fact, and... I'm going to break some news real quick because we're going to tell you later in this episode, but I have to tell you now because I want you to sign up this email. Stop the show. Go to thechangelog.com slash nightly and sign up right now. It's an email we're shipping now called Changelog Nightly, as you can tell from the URL. And this email unearths the hottest repos on GitHub every single night and drops them in your inbox. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. We have some awesome sponsors for today's show, CodeShip, TopTile, and CodeSchool. We'll tell you a bit more about Code School and TopTile later in the show, but our friends at CodeShip, they have released a brand new feature called Parallel CI. If you want to get faster tests from your builds, you've got to run your builds in parallel. And they recently shipped Parallel CI, and now you can split up your test commands into up to 10 pipelines, 10 test pipelines. This enables you to run your test suite in parallel and drastically reduce the time it takes to run your builds. They integrate with GitHub and Bitbucket, you can deploy your, your code to cloud service like Heroku or AWS and much more. And you can get started today by trying out their free plan, which includes 100 builds a month and five private projects. Or you can also use our offer code, the ChangeLaw Podcast, to get a 20% discount on any plan you choose for three months. Head to codeship.com slash the ChangeLaw to get started. And now, on to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. we got Ilya Gregoric joining us today. Ilya, you've been uh, on the show before, episode 55, if we go back in time, uh, back when Wynn was around, and that was an awesome show. You were talking about Goliath and Event Machine and other fun stuff. So welcome back to the show, man. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for the uh, invitation. And yeah, it's been, it's been a while. I think that episode was back in 2011. So <laughs> It's like uh, we were laughing before the show how forever ago that was, basically. And that's just crazy. But yeah, Speedy was a brand new thing back then, and now it's uh, it's been completely that's right, replaced. Actually, right? as of today or yesterday, the uh, new HTTP two stuff is now official. So we went from this yeah. kind of experimental thing that a couple of engineers at Google started to something that's out in the wild and ready to be deployed. It's pretty amazing. And as you can hear, we also have Jared Santo on the call as well. So Jared, say what's up. What's up? What's up? So Ilya, we um, this is sort of a, a kind of a two part show, right? We got sort of an announcement from us, which we'll talk about later, uh, but then we have this awesome project that you started, GitHub Archive, and that kind of tees off of Google's BigQuery project. You've been on the show before, but since it's been a while, back then you were a founder and CTO of PostRank, which has since been acquired by Google, and you now work at Google, and it's been you know all that time since then. How do you introduce yourself now whenever uh, whenever you're on a stage or saying hello to people? So nowadays within Google, I basically work as an internet plumber. And my job is more or less to figure out how to make the internet faster. Uh, that's related to uh, spec work uh, for things like Google Chrome, so open standards, um, also things like HP2 uh, and all the rest. So trying to figure out how to make Chrome faster, how to make Google products faster, because we know that speed helps uh, kind of user retention and just leads to happier users, and also just make internet faster as a whole. So it's been a pretty fun gig. 
I like the name or the title of the internet bummer. <laughs> it's That's it's a good cool. description of kind of the dirty work that you actually have to do uh, to make it all yeah. work. Yep, yep. Someone's got to do it, right? And uh, how big is your team that you work with there at Google? Uh, that's a good question. It's actually a big distributed effort, as you can imagine, uh, because every product uh, within Google is focused on speed. So I work, kind of collaborate with a lot of different teams within Google and then uh, even outside of Google as well. So we work with mobile carriers because mobile is becoming uh, so important and everything's migrating there. Uh, other vendors, uh, Microsoft, Mozilla, Apple, and all the rest. So... Uh, it's hard to say what the team is because we don't have like a just a strictly unified team, but it's hundreds of people. So, do you work in in an office, or do you kind of are you? Uh, I work in an office, uh, but I do find myself okay. kind of jumping between offices depending on where I have a lot of meetings. But my day to day is mostly in uh, Mountain View, California. Gotcha. Well, cool. Did you um? Didn't you live not in San Francisco before um, you were acquired? Uh, that's right. Yeah, we were actually in uh, Waterloo, Canada. All right. Then we moved okay. to uh, sunny California. All right. Must be better, right? So you're not dealing with the whole um, winter apocalypse, or what is it called yeah, over the there? Snow apocalypse. Snow apocalypse. Yep. Yes. Uh, feel bad for the people in the East Coast. Well, like, Here in sunny Texas, it's uh, it's just around 55 degrees today, yep, or something. Yep. Can't complain. Well, I got sun, but I also have like nine degree, nine degree sun. So it's not exactly. I, I guess I can complain, <laughs> <laughs> not as much as them on the east coast, but I can still complain. So maybe just to paint a little bit of the history for people too, to kind of let them know which Ilya we're talking to. I don't think there's that many out there. Um, Vim Golf, GitHub Archive. You were a Ruby hero in 2008. Uh, you started PostRank. Can you kind of give a primer of what PostRank was um, prior to the acquisition in Google and, and sort of. What sort of made you this internet plumber you are today? Yeah, the, the PostRank work was actually, I'm going to say, mostly unrelated to the work that I'm doing before. But the idea behind PostRank was to help measure the impact of uh, just social advertising on the web. And by advertising, like I share a link to an open source project and we want to be able to figure out what did that yield? Uh, was that a, a good share in the sense that did a lot of people click on it? Um, whom should you approach or where should you advertise to kind of make uh, the most of your advertising budget. So we built a collection of tools for marketers, advertisers, and the rest to kind of help them facilitate that whole kind of end-to-end cycle of you, we want to invest money into social and what is the return on investment. And then uh, I guess that was interesting to Google, who at the time was really kind of expanding their social strategy. So we ended up there and I spent uh, about a year uh, building and rebuilding some of the products that we build within PostRank, and then uh, jump to kind of this web performance work, which has always been my passion uh, in a background. The, the last episode that we did with you guys with Goliath was actually centered around that. We wrote our own HTTP server because we found that the performance of some of the existing servers just wasn't up to par. So I've always kind of played that plumber role, perhaps in a background as, a, as an engineer. And then uh, when I got the opportunity to actually focus on it full time, I decided to jump on it. Cool. As Adam mentioned, you were a Ruby hero, and many people probably remember you from igvita.com, your your blog that you wrote on uh, very commonly back then. Curious if you're still slinging any Ruby inside Google or if you've uh, switched tool sets. Uh, I am, but perhaps not kind of day-to-day production projects. So I still have open source projects, certainly a lot of kind of my day-to-day work for, you know, I need a script for this, so I need to automate something like that. I still use Ruby. It's my default language. Uh, to date, 
Uh, probably the most recent project that I worked on was actually the HTTP2 Ruby gem. So it's a pure Ruby implementation of the full HTTP protocol, HTTP2 protocol. Mm. Uh, so that was fun, just kind of uh, roll up my sleeves and, and work on that. And I should also mention that I got some great contributions from uh, a number of people on GitHub, uh, from the Tokyo community in particular. So they've been helping out quite a bit. So it was, it was really good. And I actually went to uh, uh, went to Tokyo last year uh, to talk at HTTP2 events. So I met a lot of the Rubyists uh, there that were also doing HTTP2. So that was, that was really good. Awesome, man. Well, we're here today to talk about a specific project of yours, um, one that had caught our radar and that I was quite fond of for some time, which is your GitHub Archive project, githubarchive.org. Tell us about that and what it is and kind of where you got the idea for it. Sure. So uh, this is a fun one. And I think as most every open source project that starts with a personal itch, and my personal itch was, I love open source, I love following open source, and I'd like to keep on top of uh, what are the interesting projects that are coming up, being released, uh, what are the new issues, so on and so forth. So back in the early days of GitHub, I would just follow a lot of people. Right? Once, you, once you follow kind of the right people in any particular community, you just observe like, what they star, or what they comment on, and all the rest. And uh, that worked well for a while. Uh, but with time, as more and more projects and more and more people joined GitHub, I found that, and I was subscribing to like a thousand plus projects and people, <laughs> that my stream was actually just being overwhelmed. Uh, like I went from being able to check my uh, my stream on GitHub.com for like what are the new events once every couple of days to I had to check it once a day because they had a limit. I think it was like 500 events, and it would just kind of scroll off the bottom, so I couldn't catch up. And then finally, it was like every half a day I would have to check it and. Clearly, that wasn't scaling. So that was a problem, and I figured, like, hey, I should figure out how to solve this problem. I specifically wanted to just solve that problem for myself. So I started looking around and realized that GitHub actually provides this API where they show you the latest activity. So this is, like, somebody opened a pull request, somebody closed an issue, uh, just basically anything and everything. And if you pull that API, you can actually get the live stream. So... Uh, based on that, I said, okay, well, fine, I'll just write a crawler that will just basically sit there in the loop and just log all of that data. And then once I have the data, I can you know, mash it off and answer my question that I actually need to do. So, you know, uh, nothing like a good yak shave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So that was basically the inception of uh, GitHub Archive. Uh, I just wrote a little Ruby crawler that sits there and just collects this data, logs it into archives, hourly archives, which I store all on uh Cloud storage at the time it was S3, then I moved it to Google Cloud Storage, and it's. Uh, I think I started that back in March of 2012 or 2013, one of those years. Uh, I think it was 2013, and ever since it's just been logging those hourly archives. And uh, then based on that data, I, was, I tried to figure out like, okay, uh, now you have those those JSON payloads. What can you do with it, right? Because now you actually have mm-hmm. a ton of data. Uh, which is in itself kind of a problem. And processing all of that uh, may take some time. And Google at the time just announced uh, BigQuery, which was a project that was actually an internal project called Dremel within Google, which is incredibly popular. And the idea there is you can write kind of SQL-like, you have a SQL-like syntax that you can write, and under the hood it's actually uh, implemented as a MapReduce job. So you write SQL, it gets translated to MapReduce, and you can run it across massive data sets. And it returns really fast. 
which was a plus, of course, because you want to have that sort of kind of interactive querying capabilities. And uh, that just became available as BigQuery. So I figured like, hey, this seems like a perfect fit. So if I just push all of this data into BigQuery, I get the ability to kind of query the data really easily and in a fast way. And two, that data actually becomes, I can make it as a public data set such that other people can come and write queries against it without having to do the import. And the import part turns out to be kind of significant. I think we'll talk about it later because at the time there were some restrictions on how I could store the data. Uh, but the gist of it is write a crawler, log all the data, import the data into uh, BigQuery, and then with BigQuery you have this uh, data set that's easy to queryable. And then finally, after doing all the yak shaving, I wrote a simple <laughs> Ruby script that just queried BigQuery once a day and sent me uh, two things. The top 10 uh, repos uh, that were open source within the last 24 hours and top 10 by like number of stars received. So just which are the repos that received the most attention. And then uh, wh- which repos that are not new but received the most stars. And uh, that became a newsletter that I also opened up to other people, and approximately 1,000 people have signed up for it. And a uh, funny thing, I, I actually, last year, I got a report from MailChimp, which is the uh, service that I was using to do the delivery. And I was just looking at it before the show, and it said that the average open rate for those emails, for those campaigns, was about 40%, which is massive, huh. right, Com- compared to the, yeah, kind of the rest good. of the industry. So like it was not only were people signing up, they were actually... Uh, opening the emails. And the click-through rate uh, for the links sent in there was about 15%, which is about 10% t- 10 times rather higher than your kind of industry average. So it worked. <laughs> it worked. I like that. <laughs> well, it worked on me. I was a, a subscriber, which is kind of how I uh, came across the whole thing. I can't remember who keyed me on to the newsletter immediately or originally, um, but I have been getting it for months. And you're scratching your own itch, but you scratched an itch that Adam and I have around these parts, uh, trying to keep up with open source, is to find the new repos. Mm-hmm. And yeah, every night, I think coming in, I would, you know, not it, something about daily emails where it's like eventually you kind of get sick of them because you're like, yeah, here it is again, every single right. day, you know, old faithful. But uh, more <laughs> often than more often than not, you know, there's good stuff, there's gems hidden in there. So uh, it was very valuable. It definitely worked. It's interesting that it kind of came, you know, I assume because you're at Google and BigQuery is a Google product, um, that it was kind of worked the other way around, where it was like, here they had BigQuery and maybe they asked some of their employees, you know, to use this thing, to have some good use cases. But it's kind of yeah. interesting that it was kind of organic the way that you ended up using BigQuery. Yeah, it was actually pretty lucky timing because at the time I wasn't even aware, wasn't even aware that the product was uh, going to be released. I was just kind of struggling to figure out a way how to do this. So either I had to write just my own processing logic to go through all the archives, but then they announced BigQuery and it was like, oh yeah, I heard of this thing called Dremel and Google is very popular, so let me just give it a try. And it turns out that was actually probably one of the best decisions I've made, uh, just because aside from uh, having the ability to do these fast queries, it opened it up to anybody and everybody to just run arbitrary queries. And uh, one of the benefits of BigQuery is that it actually gives you a free quota so, like, you do need to have a, a Google account, but once you sign in, you just get a, a it's a web page where you just type in your SQL query and you can ask it any question you want. So, if you are curious about, like, what is the top 
start repo for, I don't know, for a particular user, right? Uh, you can just write a query and get an answer to that. Or if you're interested in like, what are the top uh, repos that have the most issues open that are uh, Ruby repos, you can ask that too, and you get immediate answers. And that turned out to be very popular with a lot of people because it just kind of feels very easy to approach and start asking these questions. So we, we've seen a lot of kind of really interesting projects uh, built up around it, uh, even though originally it was just meant to solve this kind of very narrow problem that I had. Have any for instances for us of uh, people using the big uh, GitHub Archive BigQuery and making cool stuff? Oh yeah, with it? oh man, there's so many. Uh, so uh, we actually worked with when I started this. I also pinged uh, GitHub crew to make sure that you know this is all good and I'm logging this data and they don't have any kind of issues with it. And to their credit, not only did they say it was uh, all great, but they also helped me to uh, get the word out there. So actually, uh, Brian, who's on their marketing team has organized the big data challenge, uh, the GitHub data challenge, uh, for the last three years, where they have a prize or a set of prizes at the end. And basically the idea is, like, here's the data, use GitHub Archive or any of the data if you want, and just build an interesting visualization or something that kind of uh, extracts some interesting insights out of the data. So if you guys go to githubarchive.org and you scroll down to the bottom, there's actually a collection of links to various projects and also the blog posts from... Uh, GitHub, where they show the winners. And uh, some of my favorites, I'll just, I guess, pick out a few. Uh, there was one project called the op- that was op- the open source report card. And the idea there was you type in a username, and the report card would be for a particular user. So it would aggregate all of the repos that you worked on and kind of figure out which languages you contribute to, what type of commits. Like, do you typically open issues? You do fix issues? Do you write code? Do you kind of discuss more? And give you kind of a nice description of the type of work that you do on GitHub. So that was kind of cool. Uh, another project was uh, just showing the geographic distribution. So you pick a project or even a language and you can say, like, where are my contributors coming from? Are they from US, Europe, New Zealand? Uh, just show me a map, which is you know, kind of like a simple intuitive thing to ask, but it's something that GitHub doesn't provide by itself. Uh, but here you just had this kind of third-party tool fill in that gap. Uh, another one that's kind of, and the, all of these projects approach uh, the data from a different angle. So the one was on users, one was on projects. Uh, GitHub is an interesting one. Uh, so github.com, it actually provides some, like a really cool visualization for comparing programming languages. So you can see, for example, that if you like select Ruby, you, yeah, you can see where it is ranked in terms of number of pull requests or issues. Uh, or uh, other things on GitHub. So not surprisingly, today, JavaScript is like at the top in terms of the number of just commits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, this one actually made the rounds, I think it was either last week or even maybe just Monday, this GitHut, that's G-I-T-H-U-T. Um, somebody had posted to some, whether it's Hacker News or something, about the top you know mm-hmm. languages of the year, uh, JavaScript, you know, being so massive, and that, that came across my radar, and I saw it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't even think that that was using the same yep, data. Yep. So yeah, that that's been a fun one, and I and I've seen it pop up a few times because I think it was actually done as a last year's entry. So mm. yeah, that one's really cool. Yeah, I guess every year it becomes interesting again, right? Because you can see what happened since last year. Right. Yeah, and, and the great thing about this stuff is they're just leveraging BigQuery under the hood. So they just every once in a while they rerun the queries, right? So the data is always up to date. 
they don't have to worry about collecting the data or doing any of the other stuff. And now a word from our sponsor. TopTal is the best place to work as a freelance software developer. If you're freelancing right now as a software developer and you're looking for a way to work with top clients on projects that are interesting, challenging, and using the technologies you want to use, TopTal might just be the place for you. Working as a freelance software developer with TopTal, your days of searching for high-quality, long-term work and getting paid with your worth will be over. Let's face it, you're an awesome developer and you deserve to be compensated like one. Joining TopTal means that you have the opportunity to travel the world as an elite freelancer. On top of that, TopTal can help provide the software, hardware, and support you need to work effectively no matter where you are. Head to toptal.com slash developers. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash developers to learn more and tell them the changelog sent you. So essentially, GitHub Archive is a snapshot or, you know, the, the big data snapshot of all of GitHub public activity. That's right. So you actually have two ways of kind of interacting with that data if you want. One is you can go and download the raw uh, archives, the hourly archives. And that just gives you like exactly the data as I saw it coming from GitHub. And you can apply anything you want to it, right? So if you want to, uh, I don't know, boot up your own Hadoop cluster or write your own Ruby script to process it, go for it. And the other option is, the more convenient option is to use the uh, BigQuery interface where you can just write the SQL stuff. So whichever one fits you best. So if you want to make a GitHub or something like this, you can use the GitHub archive data set to sort of slice and dice big data mm-hmm. coming from GitHub. That's right, yep. Gotcha. It's pretty neat how these artifacts can have such insights after the fact and just the foresight of collecting the information. I guess this is kind of the whole conceit of big data, right? Is like one person with the foresight of let's collect this data and make it publicly available. Down the road, it opens up all these opportunities at visualizations and insights into the open source community that otherwise wouldn't have been available. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess one thing that I've learned through this process, and and I've seen it happen before as well, is it's very important to make the analysis of the the data very cheap and easy. And that, because that enables a very different type of collaboration and just iteration, right? Because if it takes you, let's say, half a day to answer a question, you're very limited in the types of questions you can ask of the data. Whereas if you get a very quick response, you can actually start iterating on your questions. So it's, it's very uh, often that I'll start kind of with a particular question and then be like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. That's, that looks like an outlier. Let me drill in a little bit further. So having the tools, and this is where the BigQuery stuff really helped. And by the way, there's, there's other projects that can do the sort of thing. There's, there are open source projects. I think Amazon has some of the kind of similar capabilities. Like the, the fact that it's BigQuery or not is not the important part. It's just the fact that it allows you to quickly and easily ask questions and get fast answers. And just having that has been incredibly valuable because it allows... When you say fast, how fast is fast? Uh, well, you're processing on the order of... Let's see, I think, I think the current data set is on the order of a couple hundred gigs, and you can process all of that in a span of one to 10 seconds. Mm. So you know, if, you run, if you write a very complicated query, uh, then it'll take up to 10 seconds. In comparison to say doing that on your desktop would be right a day. Well, yeah, I'm not <laughs> depends not, on your desktop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on your desktop, uh, you right, know, run of the mill MacBook Pro. It would take like an hour just to read the data off disk, right? Whereas oh. 
if you have a kind of a, a nice distributed system, you would just read it from many different disks, and that goes right. a heck of a lot faster. And just trying to paint a picture for those out there who are like, "What is this BigQuery, and what, what does he mean by fast?" Because an hour or two hours is way slow. Sure, ten seconds is way fast. So, I, yeah, that, so that's a great question. So, I guess for context, so BigQuery is the public version of a product that we use internally at Google called Dremel, and Dremel is used to analyze terabyte size data sets, so in multi-terabyte data. And uh, you know, you're leveraging the large computer infrastructure that Google has, and you know, a terabyte of data can be processed in same order of magnitude, kind of seconds at most minutes, which would take otherwise literally days or weeks on your single computer. I think this is cool that uh, I think this GitHub archive kind of shows really that that internet plumber uh, attitude that you have towards things because what you've done is some of the dirty work, right? And you started off with this itch to scratch. And you know, I have these all the time, and I'm sure developers out there, we always have like this little, ooh, if I could just do this, it'd be nice. And then you follow the thread a little bit and you realize this is like two, three, maybe a week, you know, three days, maybe a week uh, worth of work or whatever threshold that's just like, ah. Eh. And you just kind of shelve it. If you would have done that, you know, all these other projects probably wouldn't have existed because you've lowered the bar for them to get to what the interesting part, right? I want to visualize the data. You just wanted the email of of the repos every night, but all this extra work actually turned into something that you know we all can use and has has made the ecosystem kind of more fruitful because of it. Yeah, I, I think that's that sounds about right. It's you know th- that sort of approach does take a bit more at the beginning because you're required to do more work like how to make sure that this is accessible it's usable usable by other people and all the rest but in the long run i definitely think it's kind of a better approach because exactly as you said it allows other people to leverage that data and it also allows me to play with the data more because instead of just having that uh, report card for what are the interesting new projects yesterday i can ask it tons of other questions yeah, so it also means that you got to kind of you got something you need to maintain as well, which is kind of the other side of that coin. Mm-hmm. Um, so GitHub Archive is you know not a new project; it's been out there, and GitHub itself is changes. I think the API has changed over time. Uh, did that present any difficulties for you? A- API changes on the GitHub side? It did in some ways. So th- the trouble here was that, um, and this is more of a kind of BigQuery specific gotcha. Uh, when BigQuery was first introduced, uh, you could, in terms of the data schema that you could store um, uh, within BigQuery, you had to define that up front. So you would say, you know, th- these are the columns for all of my records. And you couldn't change that afterwards. You could create a new data set that had a different schema. But later, that actually started causing problems because, as you said, GitHub would as they would, you know, enhance their product, add new fields, maybe deprecate an old field. And um, I had a little bit of pain there where even though I was logging all of the raw data, you know, I always had the raw data stored, I would have to kind of massage it into the schema that I froze early on such that you could run a query against the entire data set. So uh, that did cause a little bit of friction. Uh, but then uh, last year, uh, BigQuery actually allowed you to start importing just like JSON payloads, so unstructured data. And uh, this actually gave me an opportunity to go back and kind of revisit my original implementation. And I switched it um, after kind of a bunch of back and forth on what's the best way to do it. 
uh, earlier this year, or actually exactly on January 1st, I switched to a new model where instead of having every column be fixed, I'm actually uh, fixing a subset of the columns, which I know are stable. And if you look at the API documentation for the events API on GitHub, they'll tell you that like these five columns are fixed. They will always be there. But then uh, take, for example, a pull request versus issue request. Uh, both of those always have an actor, so somebody who's doing the action. And both of those have like a timestamp and something else. And that's always there. So that's like I mapped that into uh, distinct columns. But then the actual payload of the request or the activity is different for each activity. And that I just store as a kind of a JSON blob. So it just requires a little bit more work on people that are make, writing the queries now to kind of reach into the JSON data and pull out the fields that they want. But now I don't have this problem at all because GitHub can just change anything they want and I just throw that data into BigQuery and uh, there's no updates on this end. Yeah, I think I ran into that as I was trying to do some of the uh, the queries to get the get the email going and i uh, just like to say that, man, you are fast on the trigger, helping out on the issues. Uh, appreciate, <laughs> you know, how how quickly you got back to me on on those on, on GitHub, uh, helping me out with getting the queries all going. January first, so that's right about probably the same time you turned the email off. Is it? Is it not? Yes. So actually, yeah, on January first, after that update went out, I. I guess I didn't explicitly turn it off as much as I, I didn't update the query in right. my uh, in my daily run, and then I realized that whoops, uh, the data schema has changed, or rather, I stopped logging data into the same table. I had mm-hmm. created a new table, and now I'm actually creating daily tables. Uh, one of the things we found was because I've been logging data into the same table for now over three years, and we've actually backported some data with GitHub's help. So there's about three and a half years of data there. We do, or you do have a free quota, but it's very easy to exceed that free quota if you're not careful. So that's, that was the reason why we went into this new model where each day and each month is a separate table, such that like, people can experiment a bit more without kind of exceeding their free quota. Yeah. Mm. So was, uh, what was the thought behind, I mean, obviously because it just stopped working, you didn't turn the email back on. There were a few cries for... Uh, for help, My, myself being one of them, I think there's three or four other people on on your GitHub account asking what's up with the email. What was your decision to not rewrite that? Uh, so, as I said, the first two days, or yes, or three days before it, I realized that the email stopped coming in, because as you said, right, it's like you, if some, there's something about daily emails where after a while you start to tune them out. Yep. It took me about three days to register. Like, oh right, uh, this is why I'm not seeing it. And then a couple of GitHub issues popped up. And there was, the thought process there was, I guess, twofold. One was, uh, since I've actually started the, the GitHub Archive newsletter, GitHub came up with their own kind of trending repositories email mm-hmm. that you can sign up to. And I've subscribed to that. And to be honest, I actually don't find it as valuable as the one I implemented. But of course, I'm biased because... <laughs> hey, we are with you. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't ask you to turn it back on if I was, right. I was satisfied. What yeah. they're doing is like it's basically the same thing, but they just provide fewer repos in there. I think it's like the top ten, and they also don't separate like what are the new repos versus the old repos that got the most activity. So I just like I I read both effectively, but I find that there I find different things in in both repos or in both emails. Uh, but at the same time, it was there. Right, so I was once I realized that the email stopped going out, 
I actually wondered if anybody would cry about it, right? <laughs> if anybody would contact me. So I, I gave it another couple of days. And sure enough, as you said, there was a couple of issues that were being opened uh, on the repo. And then at the same time, I guess you guys reached out to me about uh, the work that you guys are doing. And at that point, it kind of became clear that perhaps uh, you know, I should find somebody else who, to run that project and focus on the infrastructure part, which is kind of to your point earlier, just enable other people to build uh, cool things on top. Well, that's a good uh, a good segue then, isn't it? Yeah, we obviously have a a hand in the in the um, in the bag, so to speak, in terms of shooting out emails and stuff like that. And to our best ability, we try to keep up. And as Jared mentioned, we used GitHub Archive before, and we were like, "Well, that's a bummer; it's not going on anymore." So um, it made sense to reach out and see if that was something we could take over. And and we've since. Um, had some conversation about it. We're launching a new email called changelog nightly that uh, will essentially become what GitHub archive was uh, the daily emails at least. And working with Ilya, we've um, transferred the email list. So we're, we're going to work with you, Ilya on making sure this continues. So if you're listening to this and you're on that email list, and you get an email from us here in the near future. It's the same email list and we'll sort of put out an announcement in addition with this podcast to sort of, clear the way in terms of, you know, not spamming and stuff like that. Like, it's this is a collaboration, so. Yeah, and I'm really excited. You guys showed me uh, the preview of the email. It looks great. It looks much better designed than what I managed to pull off in, in my version, well, so that's awesome. So, if you're listening to this right now, um, we're in the, we're, we're recording this in the past, but you're going to listen to this in the, in the future, so... When you're actually listening to this, uh, so if you're hearing my voice right now, you can actually go to thechangelaw.com slash nightly. Um, that may move to nightly.thechangelaw.com in the near future, but uh, for now it's going to be there. You can subscribe now. Um, hopefully, Jared, you can give me a nod or something like that to say for sure we're going to be shooting emails. R- right now we're doing it internally. Uh, as Ilya just mentioned, we had uh, shared the, the design with him now, and, and Ilya, you know, on the – on the work, like I love how there's a sort of layers to this onion. Like your itch from way back when all this work with BigQuery, all this work with you know, like storing this data, and then you know, and then now we've come behind you. Which would you say that you're a designer, Ilya, or would you say you're not a designer? Sometimes I pretend to be a designer. I can't say okay. I'm a good one. <laughs> Play one on TV. Yeah. So I mean, I would consider myself a designer. And when we, you know, we came across this project and, and taking over the email part of it. Um, I was like, there's a way, I like the data, but there's a way we can visualize it a little differently. And, uh, you know, we're sharing the stars a lot clearer, the the up stars for that day a lot more clear. So when you see this email, you're going to love how it looks. Um, we even went as far as making it have a night theme because we figured if you're going to be, you know, on your phone or on your MacBook at night, if you're in the East Coast Central Time Zones, uh, or in the U.S. time zones, um, it's probably going to be at night. Otherwise, it's daytime or something like that for for you. But we figured let's ship it with a night theme. So we made it dark. Uh, we may actually offer a day and night theme in the future, but at least for now, it's going to ship with a night theme to make your eyes a little bit, you know, a little easier on the eyes at night. So, yeah. And as Adam said, we've been shipping this just to ourselves over the last couple of days. Yeah. And I texted him, was it last night? I'm like, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I'm a total nerd that this makes me so happy to have this back uh, every night. So we're excited to get it out there and, and get it in your mailboxes as well. Yeah, so go to thechangelog.com slash nightly, sign up. 
And Ilya, I think we've grown a list a little bit since since you handed it to us. It went from like just around nine hundred to like I think just a little over a thousand now. So we've oh, that's awesome. We've actually grown the list a tiny little bit. So hopefully between this and our change log weekly email, which won't change, we'll still share repos in there. That's more of our editorialized, um, you know, highly curated email, whereas this one's automated. So they sort of sister and brother in that regard where you got nightly, which is sort of this constant daily update, nightly update. And then our change log weekly, which goes out on, on uh, Saturdays, which is links, videos, top repos that are hitting our radar uh, we're still sharing that email. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So for the GitHub mailing list, or the original mailing list, you know, I've never actually even actively promoted it. It was just one of those things where I had the email, and I think one time I forwarded it to one of my friends because I was like, oh, look, oh, hey, look, your repo has you know, made the list. And then he asked me for, like, where can I sign up? <laughs> so <laughs> after that, I, uh, I just dropped a link on the githubarchive.org website. And it, like I never actively promoted it, and yet somehow it gathered a thousand people. So um, I'm curious to see where you guys take it because I, I agree, I find them incredibly valuable, and I actually think there's a lot of room for kind of experimenting in the space as well. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I've wanted for a long time and just never got around to it was uh, creating more thematic lists as well. So right now it's just like everything across GitHub, yep. right? But if I'm particularly interested in let's say Ruby or Node or something else. You can imagine just scoping it to that, uh, which would be quite cool. Yeah, we. I would say, and Jared, you can back me up on this, but I would say that this is definitely um, a start for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as we can get more and more interesting data out of what you've been storing in, in BigQuery and GitHub Archive, I think that you know I'd love to keep exploring. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for us because I've already had tons of fun just doing what we've done so far. And I think we'll just keep, you know, from from a listener perspective, if you're listening to this and you love the change log and, you know, you're a member or you're not, we aim to, you know, serve the open source community as best we can. And sometimes that might be shipping really awesome emails. Sometimes that's doing a really awesome podcast. Uh, sometimes that's, you know, sharing things on Twitter or blog or wherever uh, or going to a conference. So this is one of the ways we definitely plan to press hard. Yeah, and we do plan to also open source the repo that runs nightly. So yeah. um, you can contribute as well if you're a, a reader of the email and you want to see a new data point in there or you'd love to have these language-specific emails, which has definitely been something we've discussed internally, but it's a little bit more uh, heavy lifting. It's going to be open source. You can hop on there, open an issue, or fork it and do all that good stuff too. That's awesome. That good stuff. So, Elliot, what do you think about nightly then? What, do you, what are your initial thoughts and just us taking it over and not having to worry about the burden of the email anymore. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm super happy. So first of all, I get my emails back, which is great, because uh, I've been, yeah. for the last, I guess, month and a half, I've been relying on the GitHub version. And as I said, you know, th- those are great, but I don't find that they're uh, as interesting in many ways. I don't discover as many interesting things. Uh, that and just having you guys work on it, I think you'll, you'll do a much better long-term job. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, these uh, these itches you keep scratching too, let's, I would say, let's figure out a way to keep working together. Like, I, I know Jared and I will take over and start doing some things, but, um, you know, if you've got a particular email that you want to see go out or, you know, data set pulled from, from this, then let's work on it. Let's figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you guys are going to make the, uh, the actual code for that open source. And I guess I should mention the all of the GitHub archive yeah. source for the website, for the crawler, 
and even for the old reports, if you want to still want them, is online. So if you just go under uh, igregoric slash githubarchive.org, that's the repo. And uh, if you find bugs, improvements, all of the stuff is welcome. Awesome. Well, we do have a note in here to talk a little bit about the future of GitHub Archive. Um, if you have future plans or a roadmap, or if you consider it kind of a finished thing as a piece of plumbing, um, what are your thoughts on that? So I think it's mostly a finished thing uh, in the sense that uh, the crawler is running, it's stable. Um, I think I've figured out all the bugs there and I'm really happy with it. Like it, it's, it's been running for years. So that part is good. Uh, what I would like to do is maybe go back and revisit how I've imported some of the data into BigQuery. Because as I mentioned, the schema was changing and I, was, and I had a frozen schema. So some of the fields may not be there that perhaps should have been. So that's just kind of a, you know, one of those things where I would like to get to it, where I'd like to go back and re-import the old data in the same way that I'm importing the new data now, just to make it all nice and consistent. And you know, if somebody is interested in taking that on, that'd be even better, to be honest. Uh, but that's that, that's probably the main thing. Otherwise, it, it's running, it's humming along. I did. I should. I should plug actually uh, the BigQuery team. They've given me a lot of support, and uh, you know, they they've paid the bills for hosting all that data. So uh, kudos to them. So there's uh, there's that. Uh, there, there's no kind of concerns over how much data we're storing. So that's been really good. That's nice right there. I was going to, I guess, on the tail end of that, is this one of the main ways, is there any other, you know, large data sets of GitHub data out there other than this one? You know what? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Not that I've come across. I've seen, I, I keep coming across projects that I'm surprised to find out are using GitHub archive data under the hood because either they grab the archives or they're using BigQuery. But I've not seen other people uh, kind of log it and store it and process it on their own. And in terms of the future, you mentioned your collaboration with GitHub and improving things and things like that. Is there, um, are, are they mutually involved in this to a degree? Mm-hmm. Is there any sort of interest in, in this for them in the future? Yeah, I think so. Actually, just uh, last week I was exchanging emails uh, with somebody at GitHub where they're interested in engaging the academic community. And actually coming back to the kind of interesting use cases of this data, I've been approached by a number of researchers in various uh, universities that are using GitHub Archive data for analyzing things like what makes a great open source community or what patterns do they exhibit, what makes a resilient open source community, uh, so on and so forth. So kind of like the social dynamics of open source. Uh, so there's been a couple of papers published on this stuff using GitHub Archive data. And I think GitHub in particular is interested in uh, getting more of that kind of collaboration with the academic community. So we're chatting now about potentially exposing additional data sets via BigQuery, because clearly the researchers are already using that interface. So in the future, you may see some additional augmented uh, data available, become available on, uh, uh, through GitHub Archive. But you know, the, we're still kind of working through the details of what that is and how that would work and all the rest. And now, a word from our sponsor. It is time to put the program books away. Put them away, put them down, and learn by doing with Code School. Code School offers a variety of courses to help you expand your skills and learn new technologies such as JavaScript, Ruby, iOS, Git, HTML, CSS, and many more. Code School knows that learning to code can be a daunting task. They combine experienced instructors with proven learning techniques to make learning to code educational as well as memorable 
giving you the confidence you need to continue past the hurdles. They're always launching new courses on new technologies and offering deep dives on tried and true languages. So if you don't see them you need, suggest a course and they'll build it if there's enough demand. CodeSchool also knows that languages are a moving target. They're always updating content to give you the latest and greatest learning resources. You can even try before you buy. Roughly one out of every five courses on CodeSchool is free. This includes introductory classes for Git, Ruby, and jQuery, which allow free members to play full courses with coding challenges included. You can also pay as you go. One monthly fee gives you full access to every Code School course. And if you ever need a breather, take a break, you can suspend your account at any time. Don't worry, your account history, points, and badges will all be there when you're ready to pick things up again. Get started on sharpening your skills today at CodeSchool.com. Once again, that's CodeSchool.com. So while we're talking about, I guess, the future of GitHub Archive, what are some of the ways that the community can step in? We, we always ask a question like, you know, what's a call to arms for GitHub Archive, you know, that doesn't require you to do every single thing, where can the community step in to, to help out on this project? So I'd say two things. Uh, one is uh, just go and play with the data. I think that's the best place to start because uh, if you get hooked on that data, and I think it's pretty easy to get hooked because there's so much of it and you can analyze all kinds of stuff, then it just becomes much more interesting in the long run. Like you start thinking of new things you could figure out based on this data. So that's one. Just uh, start playing with the data. You can either grab the raw archives, the JSON stuff, and just do something with it, or you can try the BigQuery uh, approach. And the second one is, uh, if you are interested in helping out um, the project that I mentioned, where it's just about reimporting the old data, uh, that could be interesting. Uh, and if that's something that you want to help with, that'd be that'd be cool. So is that still a, an in-progress project then? The the reimport, the, the, you're talking about the tables, right? Breaking up one big table right. into many many smaller tables. Right. Right. Yeah. So is that still going on then? Uh, well, it's one of the things that uh, you know on my to-do project list of a hundred things that I need to yak shave. <laughs> Uh, it's it's there. <laughs> it's just a question of when will I get to it. So, is there currently an issue open with some uh, like guide marks or guidelines for someone to step in and help out there? You no, know that's a good point. There isn't, uh, and I, sh- I I will do that. Yeah, I think that would be helpful, especially you know I like when project owners you know if they have an ask like that you know if they can put something out there because you're going to get a question anyway. Someone will start the issue for you if you don't. Right. Um, so, might as well give someone some guide. Guide rails to follow, um, and that way people can step in. So if you're wanting to hack on BigQuery or play with, you know, you know, the, break up these tables into smaller tables, then you know, Ilya will give you some help on making that happen. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll definitely uh, put something together. Well, so cool. Many, so many yaks, so little time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty much. Yes. <laughs> Is there a well, T-shirt for that? Because I like yeah, that. There, there should be. Uh, yeah, that'd be a nice yak shave. Go make a T-shirt about yak shave. Okay. Another question that we like to ask at the end, and I know you've been lacking your email lately, but uh, you're a guy who has his thumb on the pulse of open source. Uh, I think your Twitter account is a a good one that I follow, just constantly kind of surfacing cool new projects. So what are some projects, name one or a couple, that are on your radar that are exciting to you um, these days? These days? Well... So, so I guess the, the main open source project that I spend probably most of my time on nowadays is Chromium. So that's definitely something that's uh, very interesting, exciting to me, and I keep learning new things about it. And if, if you're not familiar, Chromium is the open source version of 
uh, the Chrome project, the Chrome browser. So there's a Chromium browser which you can build on your own. And then Chrome is kind of the repackaged version that just adds the kind of the Google branding on top of it and a few additional things. So uh, I spend most of my days uh, working on that, trying to figure out what are the things that we need in there to make it faster or what are the performance regressions, bugs, and so on and so forth. So that's, that's definitely been occupying a lot of my time. And then um, others are actually HTTP2 related. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, HTTP2 is now officially a thing as of, I guess, yesterday. And now the big push is now that the spec is final and it's stable, is to actually have servers supported. Uh, if you think about, let's say, the Ruby ecosystem, uh, there's actually not any server that I'm aware of that is HTTP2 compatible at this point. So that's that's something that I'm thinking about actively right now. There's If you go to the HTTP2 wiki, if you just search for uh, HTTP2 on, on Google or use your other favorite search engine, uh, you'll you arrive at uh, just kind of a status page for HTTP2. If you click on implementations, there's a list of servers that are already implemented. And a lot of those uh, could use some help in terms of like uh, contributions, testing them, compatibility with other browsers, uh, and all the rest. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, that, that's definitely something that I'm, I would encourage others to play with. Excellent. I think I'll just give you a plug as well because you won't take it yourself. You also <laughs> have a book out, High Performance Browser Networking. It's an O'Reilly book. Um, looks like you can read the entire thing online for free or buy it for a few bucks. Definitely, if you guys are interested in these types of things, HTTP2, XHR improvements, uh, server sent events, that kind of stuff. I haven't read the book myself, but I've heard the people singing its praises on the internets, so just give that a shout-out as well. Yeah. Does HTTP2 require any sort of uh, update to this? Actually, it does. Uh, I do have a section in the book. So, uh, as you mentioned, the book is online for free, so if you just go to HPBN. .co, uh, you'll arrive at a page where you can kind of flip through it. And there's an HTTP2 chapter in there, but I wrote that chapter about a year ago. And since then, there's been some uh, protocol changes, kind of like cosmetic changes that I need to go back and update. Uh, but that's true of any tech book in general, right? The moment you hit publish, <laughs> it's already out of date. So, yep. Yeah. I we'll just, definitely uh, link that up in the show notes for people who are interested. Remember you mentioned... HTTP two as well. That's like fresh off the press, like as of like basically last night. So, you know, don't expect you to go open, uh, go update the book today or anything. Well, I am actually hoping to kind of get it done sooner rather than later because I think there's a lot of interest right now in the community. It's yeah. like, what is this thing? How do I make it work? Uh, what does it mean for the for the servers? What does it mean for all my websites? So it's this. This would be a good time to actually have that out. So I'm hoping that within the next. You know, fingers crossed, a couple of weeks, unless I find other yaks to shave, I'll have that up. Well, we'll have to have you come back and talk HTTP2 because I have a lot of questions about it and I'm sure you've got a lot of answers. So I think that'd be a good time. Yeah, I'd be happy to. It's uh, Let's do it. Let's get on the books. Four weeks from now. Bam. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ilya, it was definitely uh, fun having you on the call today. Um, we'll We'll definitely enjoy working with you on keeping the emails current, looking awesome on mobile and desktop, frequent, and exploring new uh, new frontiers with that as well. So definitely excited about the future of working with you on that part there. You, you mentioned githubarchive.org will have an update mentioning ChangeLog Nightly. Uh, if you're going to subscribe, go to thechangelog.com slash nightly. You can subscribe there. 
when you're listening to this, we should be shipping emails. So expect um, an email like the next night. I think we're shipping what, Jared, at 10 o'clock on Central Time or Eastern Time? Central. So 10 p.m. Central because Jared and I live in Central and that's like the center of the world to us because it's Central, right? That's right. They call um, the Central time zone for a reason. It's the center. Humor arrogance there. That's what that is. It's a little <laughs> bit of humorous arrogance um, that we're going to ship at our time at 10. So if you're on the other side of the world, uh, we can't help that. So it'll be like 10 in the afternoon for you or something like that. So um, that's That'd be the changelog afternoonly. <laughs> afternoonly. Doesn't have the same ring to it. No. No. And if you're a fan of the show, you know back in episode 141, uh, we had a pretty decent announcement that I came on as as a full-time employee of this year fledgling company we're building called The Changelog. Uh, I w- once worked for a nonprofit uh, full-time there and stepped away to pursue the dreams of keeping up uh, with open source and serving the open source community. So this is now my full-time gig. And as part of that, we ask our listeners to become members, supporting members of the changelog. You can go to the changelog.com slash membership to learn more. But right now I'm going to rattle off a list of, I don't know how many, but quite a few members that have stepped up and supported the changelog. Uh, Gabriel Solis, forgive me if I mispronounce a few names here, because some of them do uh, have nine letters like my last name or like Gregoric. Uh, Jonathan uh, Lewinsky. Uh, sorry if I messed that one up. Darcy Clark, Mike Oliveri, Todd Ward, uh, Colin Coghill, uh, G.D. Jensen, Magnus Enger. That's an awesome name. Uh, Benoit Tijanat, I believe that I definitely messed that one up. That's French, though, so you can I get a buy on French names. Charles Hicks. This one I can't even pronounce. Uh, Pentagotis. I'm not even try that one. Sorry about that. David. Can't see your last time either. Stephen uh, Howells, Brett Weaver, and Jan Novak. All these awesome people have stepped up to uh, make sure the changelog stays around and support us in going full-time. So if you want to do it too, thechangelog.com slash membership. you got some awesome benefits there. I won't tell you what they are now, but lots of cool stuff on that page there. Check it out. Uh, Ilya, thanks again so much for coming on the show, working with us on Changelog Nightly. Definitely excited about shipping that in the future. We've got some awesome sponsors, I think, to mention as well. Let's see who those are. CodeChip. Top Towel and Code School. Awesome people. So with that, let's say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.